Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, and if this is your first time listening, I'm joined by my co-host from North Central Florida, not to be confused with Central Florida, Chase. It is the middle of November. Deer are dropping all over this country. It is the rut. Tell me something good about where you're at, dude. Oh, man. Well, luckily for me this weekend, it's not necessarily, we're kind of in the secondary rut right now. Uh, So we're still seeing a little bit of uh, chasing action out there fixing to be our doe weekend so we can finally get back out in the woods and uh, fill some of those doe tags so that is going to be my goal this current weekend and then obviously shoot a giant buck if it steps out Hmm. well so that that's that's what's good for me right now seems Um, like a simple goal shoot a giant buck yeah 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 um (laughs) i've got a couple i'm after i mean this year has been like 2020 hunting season has been like 2020 year for me (laughs) just it's the same man it's just one of those weird years where i've had three opportunities and have nothing to show for it you know what i mean um three well i've had more opportunities but i've just chose not to shoot certain deer but i've let's say i've pulled the trigger three different times and nothing's nothing to show for it um, and a couple of those were equipment fails. It's just been one of those years, but I think it's like culminating to where it, it'll at the end of the season, I'll look back and it, when I'm holding that big Boone and Crockett Florida buck, I'll be like, man, it was all worth it just to get to this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. But I've got a bunch of people rooting me on and uh, our Marco Polo group's great for that. <laughs> like they're, they're all in it. And I've got some other buddies. They're like, man, I feel so bad for you or whatever. Like, Hey, I'm try- like the other day I'm trying to get out and just things that work out. Like I, I was like, I, I want to get out to this one area. Uh, I know one of my um, bucks is in that area and wasn't able to make it out. And it was an area I got a, a cell cam. And of course, like at four fifty three in the afternoon, I get a picture of him <laughs> on the cell cam. <laughs> uh, giant buck for Florida. All I, all I did was just laugh. You know what I mean? It's just like, yep, that's that's the season I'm having right there. And uh, we got some uh, advice from uh, Mr. Womack, uh, who's our guest this week on the podcast. And it, one of his great pieces of advice was try harder. So that's what I'm going to keep doing <laughs> is try harder. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that was the the takeaway from this episode is is exactly that. Try harder. Mr. Womack, I'm, I'm sure most of the people who are listening to this intro right now know exactly who we're talking about, but if you don't, he is 
he has got to be uh, one of the most seasoned whitetail veterans out there right now who has meticulously, as anyone has, logged everything that he's done and the man is just a, a, an abundant wealth of, of, of knowledge and experience, but he's so practical. I think that's what really strikes me about listening to him is he's just so uh, practical with how he applies his tactics in the woods, and I think it's a good lesson for everyone. Yeah, he, he's real practical. Um, he's just a great guy to listen to. I mean, he, he's got a great sense of humor, uh, breaks everything down real simple for you, and I, that's what I love about him. Yeah, willing to to laugh at himself, laugh at the situation. He doesn't take things too seriously. I mean, he, honest to God, you and I before we had him on, we have we have referenced being like uh, like him numerous times, too many to count. Uh, so it was it was great to finally get him on the podcast, and I know people are going to enjoy it, and we're gonna. We, we've already got the blessing from from him to to come back on the show and share stories and, and kind of go over uh, maybe some of the highlights and, and and bloopers and things that have happened to him while he's been out there. So uh, once once we get through deer season a little bit more and and everybody's kind of feeling a little blue and maybe it's cold outside, we're gonna we're gonna fire up the heart and and get out there and, and get everybody thinking about deer season. We're gonna have him back on and it's gonna be a really good time. But you know, that episode went for an hour and a half, so why don't we try our best? I know I say this every time, and we <laughs> we never really keep it short, but why don't we try our best to keep this intro uh, short for everybody? First and foremost, we need to thank the people who sign up on Patreon to make this show possible. If you're not sure what Patreon is, it's a crowdfunding source uh, that we use to raise money to, that goes towards the operating costs of this show. We don't make any money off of this. This goes towards gas, licenses, hosting fees, all, all the, the different things that, that go into the podcast. And uh, you get early access to some of our videos. You get to be added to the Marco Polo group that we mentioned earlier, which is just a video chat group. A lot like Snapchat, but a little more a little more detailed. You get to leave a little bit longer messages. And, and it's an awesome little community that, that we have built where everybody roots everybody on. Everybody shares advice from how to get permission to hunt land from landowners to, you know, just general, I've got this situation. What do you guys think? It's a great place to be. And one of the things we do to say thank you is we, we give you some love on this show. So Brett Mashburn and Brandon Ogden, appreciate you guys for signing up this month to, to support the show. We're going to send you uh, some stickers and hats to say thanks. And if you're listening right now and you're on that brink, four times a year we give away several hundred dollars worth of gear just to say thanks, just for entering your your enter just by being a member of Patreon. So we're giving away some Titan straps, an Alps backpack, and some Scree wool base layers this quarter, so running through December. So if you're listening to this and you join by the end of December or you're already a member, you are entered automatically into that giveaway. I, I can't wait to do that giveaway, and we've got something uh, really cool planned for the first quarter of uh, next year oh, as well. Oh, yeah. So it, it's, it's going to be nice. So <laughs> if you're thinking about joining Patreon, now's a good time to do it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm really excited. I remember we just had that conversation, so that's going to be uh, that's going to be a fun time. And Obviously, we work with Tethered. They are the title sponsor of this podcast. We are avid, avid saddle hunters. That I mean, darn near exclusively what we do, with the exception of you know, 
If there's a ladder stand already put there for us, we're going to use it. But when we're running and gunning or hunting different places, we always have the saddle in tow. So huge thanks to Tethered. And if you're interested in getting into saddle hunting, we are this spring going to have like a 10-part series on how to get into saddle hunting. We are going to break it down Everything that we know, which is not much, but we're going to put it all out there for you guys. And uh, check out tetherednation.com if you are interested in getting into saddle hunting. Right. And as uh, most of you know, we've partnered with uh, Scree Gear. Um, I love my Scree Gear. And I believe they're offering a 30% off sale right now on their Mountain Stealth that they're discontinuing. So now would be a great time to maybe talk to that significant other and say, hey, for Christmas, That's right. maybe get me some of this Scree gear. Um, or you can always use our code uh, CHASINGTAILS, all caps, uh, to save 15% off. That's right. That's right. It's awesome gear. It's already priced affordably. Throw that 30% off on there. And, dude, now you are cooking with that high-quality peanut oil. We love it. So, I think that's the best we could do. We're looking at uh, 8 minutes, 45 seconds. Let's get them to the show. Let's do it. All right. We have a guest on the line that, uh, as I said before we started recording, I have I have been hoping to get him on the show for, for quite some time. Mr. Warren Womack, sir, thank you for taking time out your evening, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to have an opportunity to talk with y'all. Absolutely. And anytime we get to talk hunting, it's a good time, right? That's right. Yeah, that's my favorite subject. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of narrow-minded anyway, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, I think just about anybody who's tun- tuning in probably feels quite similar. We, uh, we all share that common goal to be outside as much as humanly possible, and uh, I, I think... Uh, I think they're going to enjoy tonight's episode for sure in that regard. But, Mr. Womack, if, you would, if you'd be so kind, why don't you kind of let everybody know uh, who you are and where, where you do the majority of your hunting? Well, uh, I'm Warren Womack and I uh, live in uh, south Louisiana, uh, just north of Baton Rouge, about uh, 20, 30 miles, something like that. And uh, I'm born and raised here. I've uh, started hunting at a, at a young age, about seven years old, but it was all small game hunting until I – turned uh, 24 we, we just didn't have any deer in the area anything it was all small game hunting and to deer hunt you'd have to go up in the northeast part of louisiana along the river mississippi river uh, in the earlier days and i uh, just had a, uh, a late start getting into the deer hunting but my small game hunting taught me how to be a woodsman and how to navigate the woods and use a compass and and uh and be familiar with the woods and comfortable in them and it was a kind of jump start for once i did get a chance to hunt some deer so is that because deer were just not as populous where you were because of of the the over harvesting that happened previously they just never did have many deer down in this area where i was at you know gotcha. and, and i think the the deer in the area i am kind of kind of just bled down from mississippi you know mississippi had more, more deer than we did at, at the time and it just kind of just overloaded and just drifted south of from the southwest area of Mississippi. But to find deer back in when I was younger, or a teenager or whatever, they, they just didn't have any anywhere around where I live. You had, like I said, you had to go up to northeast Louisiana. And uh, they had had a few up there. But uh, just got a late start in it. But uh, the uh, I think it was, uh, let's see, uh, 80, 88 when I killed my first deer. Yeah, I was, I was 24. And... Uh, 
And I, I, I killed it with a rifle up north Louisiana. My uncle had leased 100 acres up there, and, and uh, he invited me to go up there, and I just got lucky and killed a deer, and, and it really got me interested in it. And I'd always like shoot bows coming up as a kid and everything, so I got interested in bow hunting. And the next season, I tried bow hunting, and I, I didn't kill one, but I hit one. I was really ignorant on, on what it took. They didn't have any education opportunities for bow hunting back then. And uh, nobody to, to talk to or no videos or anything like that. It's kind of a learn-as-you-go kind of self-taught deal. And uh, I, I, on this 100 acres, I found where two ta- trails crossed, and they had a tree right there. And during the, the early part of the day, I got some two-by-fours and built a ladder up beside the tree and a little small platform. That evening, I actually had a doe come in, and I, and I shot her. And hit her dead center in the shoulder and watched her run off. And, and uh, I, I was so ignorant back then that I had to go buy a flashlight. I had to drive about 15, 20 miles to a place and buy a flashlight and come back and look for it. Of course, I didn't find it. I was shooting a dual broadhead. I never thought about sharpening them and everything. And, and uh, about a, two weeks later, I found my air about 150 yards from where I shot the deer. But that one <laughs> little incident just put a burning desire. It thrilled me so much having a deer so close. But you see the eyelashes and everything, and just so exciting to me. It just changed my life, basically, and I, I got a burning desire to do whatever it took to just put deer inside a bow range, and I started to educate myself. And it was like a four-year apprenticeship program. And uh, after the fourth year, I kind of had it down, my equipment down, and I knew what I was, knew what to expect and knew what to look for, and it all started coming together for me about then. That's awesome. That's I didn't have a, a a similar introduction in that regard. I, I did a lot of small game until I got much older, or, or, or I had a small game until I hit you know about twelve, thirteen, and then it was very quick for me to put it down because I grew up in Southeast Georgia where there was there was a bunch of deer, but it it took me, Lord, it felt it took me an eternity just to get a deer within within uh, gun range, let alone bow range. But I, I do remember just that that first deer admiring you know, every, every moment soaking it all in from, from how it looks and how that moment felt. And I think that that first encounter with, with a, with a deer is something that most people don't forget. It, it was an unforgettable experience for me. It was, it was just unbelievable. And I just, I was just so impressed with them and, and uh, they, they excited me so much, you know, and just, you know, it's been a, just a real high priority in my whole life. I've quit jobs. I've, uh, schedule my whole life around <laughs> both seasons and what have you, but uh, you know I'm kind of getting some age on me now, and it's uh, it's kind of seeing seeing the uh, end of the trail for this hunting and stuff. You know, as, as much as I hate it, I've done so much of it, and you know, I actually know how many days I've hunted and how many hours I've hunted, except for about eight years. I just keep up with it with journaling and stuff, and it's been it's been a good long long ride. But I can see I can see the end of the tunnel not too far off <laughs> i think i think that's one of the reasons why when i first heard you speak you were talking about those journals and 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 to me that's kind of something you don't see very much in the deer hunting realm i mean maybe maybe i i just i haven't been exposed to it but that's something that's very popular in the turkey hunting realm i, I my mentor uh for turkey hunting recently you know 
really pressed journaling on me and being able to look back and see those trends, but also being able to look back and cherish those memories. If you, if you take the time to put a little bit of, you know, what made that hunt unique, being able to flip back and look through there, that that's a wonderful way to never forget a lot of, uh, you know, maybe they aren't the high points in your, in your, your outdoor, uh, time, but, uh, they come back to you and that's a great way to, to, to kill that, you know, those summertime blues. Absolutely. You know, I, I was, when I first got started and I had an uncle and he's, he was 11 years older than me. He's my mother's baby brother and everything. And he was, he was a true hunter as well as his five brothers were. And, uh, he, uh, he, he impressed on me. He said, you need, he said, you're getting really interested in this stuff. And you're going to put a lot of time and effort. And he said, you need to start recording all this stuff, take notes and take plenty of pictures and, 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 you know, record these memories. And, uh, you know, and I took him face value for it, and also had a, a, a working coworker there that I worked with, and he they didn't have no like I say back then they didn't have much hunting in Louisiana, but he went to Texas every year, and uh, he hunted in some swamps down in South Louisiana in a swampy area. They had some deer down there, and he he would bring these pictures to, on the job site, and I'd look at them, and I just I was just so impressed with them all the time. So, and he told me to take a lot of pictures and write that. And I, I took their word for it, and I invested a lot of time and effort. Of course, when I first started, I was limited on what I recorded, but each year I saw other things that I wanted to record, and, and it, the, my stories and, and writings got more detail. And now, you know, I, I, for the, since I got a computer in 2001 or two, I forget which year it was, but I've, I've kept a – every hunt I make, I, when I get home, I write the whole story of it, whether I sell anything or – shot or killed or missed or whatever i just it's like you know i'm not that great of a writer i just write like talking and telling a story basically but i put all the details i ever hunt in there you know and some of my might be four or five pages long you know just it's so detailed and it gradually worked into that from the from the very start and uh and then it, and if you don't do this like i've been hunting for 55 years and and if you don't do that, it's, and you have a lot of success or spend a lot of time in it, there's no way you're gonna remember all that. But with pictures and video footage, and and uh, and, and uh, writing and, and statistics, keeping all that down, I mean, I can somebody give me a number, and I can take that number, and within a minute or two with my computer, I can tell them all about the deer, what time it was, what day it was. Uh, what I was hunting on, how far the deer went, how far the shot was, where I was hunting at, how many deer I saw on that hunt. I mean, I can just go into details about each hunt. And there's no way you could remember all that if you didn't have it all recorded. Yeah, absolutely. It, so is that something that you, maybe in the early years or even now, do you rely heavily on on deciphering that, or is that usually just for personal enjoyment looking back? It's mostly personal, but uh, like certain places, you know, back in the earlier days when I was hunting one one or two areas particularly, I would go back and check on different trees I'd killed on and different times of the year and stuff and, and, and be able to go back and check those trees and see if they had acorns or persimmons or, or honey locust beans or whatever, whatever the situation was, whatever the draw was. I'd go back and see if it was once again ready like it was at that time when it paid off for me. And I use it like that. Plus, it's just, it's fun. I enjoy it after the hunt, thinking about the hunt and, and writing a story like 
like I remembered it, and and uh, it's just a it's a big part of the hunt because you don't kill every time you go, you know, but you can still come back and you can write your story about your hunt. And you can relive it as you write it down. Right. Did Absolutely. you ever uh, find any? Have you ever found like any cool trends with all your journal stuff? Is there anything that like really sticks out to you? That like when you've gone back and look at it now, you're like, how come I had never noticed that? I keep a lot of stats, so you know it's got a lot of different things on on when I kill deer and everything. I, I found I know through my record keeping, I've killed a deer every hour of the day from from legal shooting time to end of legal shooting time. It's not a day I hadn't killed uh, an hour in that day I hadn't killed a deer, and I can how many I killed during each hour too and uh, <laughs> so you know I, I know the, what I would think the best times to hunt now this is just kills this is this is not uh, counting the sightings and, uh, and uh, stuff like that and the hits and the misses and no fines and all that but uh, just like this between 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the evening I've killed 58 deer and then from 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, I've killed four. And uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock, I've killed 39. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that, it gives you an idea when you need to be in the woods. And the, the, the main main travel time where they're more active. Yeah. Do you have that, like, even focused down to, like, the month as well? Like, if you said you killed 30-something between 7 and 8 o'clock, was there any month that you noticed that that was more prevalent than others? Uh, well, I got I got the months on my kills and days in the months I kill. Like, okay. like uh, in, uh, in October, there's only one day I hadn't killed a deer in October, and that's the 21st. But I've <laughs> killed, uh, on like, October 11th, I've, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine different years I've killed on October 11th. And, uh, you know, and then October the 5th, I only killed on two years. But I've got all that wrote down. That, those two years on October the 5th was 1974 and 1987. And I'm just looking at my little book here right now just as a, my basic reference and everything. But I can call that up real quick. Like December the 6th, I killed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8, 8 different years I killed on December the 6th. And then I got... Uh, I got what I killed on too, and I got this. I got the states I hunted. I got my averages on. On it's just, it's just a lot of stuff. And like on my, uh, I I got what I call a uh, season summary. After the season, I go through all my different stats and I compile them, and uh, just for just to show you what it all totals up. This is for 52 years. Now the first years I didn't have. A lot of the stats that I recorded after those first, uh, is it six or eight years? Let me look and see real quick. It's uh, the first uh, eight years, I didn't have a lot of the stats. There. Like, I didn't know how many days I hunted, or how many morning hunts, and how many evening hunts. That's basically the missing stats. But the total after 52 years, I've, uh, I've uh, hunted 2,306 days. And I've made 1,411 morning hunts and 1,836 evening hunts for a total of 3,481 hunts. And I saw so cool. I saw 6,435 deer off stand, and I had 1,800 
hunting. I didn't see a deer, no sightings. And I got 8,802 hours on the stand. And uh, so, you know, just it's just you're limited only by your imagination on what you can record. And it's fun. I get a, I get a kick out of it. Enjoy it. All right. Do you do you look at uh, each season? Do you look at October twenty first every day, and go today? This year is going to be the year. <laughs> hey, it's true. I about give up on it. I don't even want to. <laughs> I've, I've shot. I've seen deer on the twenty first October. I've uh, I've shot at deer and missed them. I've shot at them, hit them, haven't found them. But I've never shot at one, killed him, and packed him out. <laughs> it really, used to really bother me a lot, but I got where I just laugh about it now. I don't even know if I want to kill one on that day. It, it to be a... <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think that it's a fun way, like you said. There's so many different ways – there's an endless amount of ways that you can dig into that and find little things, little trends that maybe maybe they don't matter, right? Like the idea that you didn't kill one on October 21st, it doesn't impact you or your your hunting habits. But it's little tokens like that that uh, I, I think we're all too easy, uh, at least nowadays, to get caught up in maybe the the end result. But those books are they're a lot more about that pursuit in between and. I think it's kind of important to to remember and enjoy those moments as much much as possible because if if your sole goal is is you know punching a tag at the end of the day you end up you know losing a lot of the journey and that's kind of what makes it fun in the end anyways. Yeah, and a, a lot of the stories I write I'm, I'm hunting with friends too and hunting partners and stuff and I include the the information I have from hunting with them too. In other words, things we've seen, things we did what he did or, or what he didn't do or what happened with this. And just, it's a whole story. It's a complete story. Enough. And I like to record all that. Now, do I go back and read that all the time? No, hardly ever do it. But, uh, <laughs> but I have people ask me questions on different things and, and most of them, I, I got to answer for them. And some of them I say, well, you know, I don't know, but I can find out and, and I'll go back and research and dig through some of that stuff. And I can just about have an answer for most of those questions, you know, and then I, and sometimes those questions, uh, they'd be a pretty good question and some information I'd want to record, and I'll start, I'll go back and research and get a new uh, topic there to, to add to each, each hunt or each season, you know what I mean? I'm always open for things to do different and uh, other stuff to add to, to my regular records I got. Right. So I'm I'm curious you 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 hunt with just about every I I think I've seen a photo with you using just about every piece of equipment uh, uh, imaginable which I love that because that I think uh, I think a lot of people and myself included have handicapped themselves in the past but I'm curious what's your what's your favorite weapon of choice to pursue whitetails with Arcadian Woods recurve really yep absolutely yeah oh uh, <laughs> I've killed the one the main one I got in ninety 94 season i've killed 77 deer and 11 hogs with it and uh each one of those members are outstanding <laughs> it's, it's just fun uh i hunted with i think five different compound bows yes four or five I'm, let's see one two three four five different compound bows you know 
and uh, I had some real good success with compound bows. But ninety, the '93 season, I went back to a recurve, and uh, it it had been since '75 since I'd hunted with a recurve bow, and I didn't have the one I'd hunted with back then anymore. And uh, so I was gonna, I just bought me a. I, I, what I did, I, I, let me let me go into a little more detail since I'm gonna talk about this, get the background for it. <laughs> But anyway, for the 93 season, I decided I was going to go back to a recurve bow. So I made a commitment. I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try this. I, I was real successful with a compound bow. I killed a lot, a lot of deer with a compound bow. And I, it was hard to, to put it down, but I wanted to, it got to be like second nature, you know. And I said, I'm going to go back to that recurve. And when I hunted with recurve in the early years, everybody used sights on them. They had sight pins on them. And uh, I didn't want to use sight pins. I wanted to shoot instinctively. So I, anyway, I just ordered a, a Damon Howard Hunter recurve at 55 pounds. And uh, I got it in, and I said, you know, I'm going to hunt the whole season with this bow if I don't kill a deer. If I go the whole season I kill a deer, I'm not going to touch my compound bow. I'm going to make this commitment. Well, that kind of almost bit me in the butt because I, I had a chance to go to South Carolina for a hunt and their season opened on august the 15th which is really really early and i took my 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 recurve of damon howard over there and i it really impressed myself and i missed three rack bucks <laughs> <laughs> on the trip I, I had three different bucks i missed and with that thing and i started doubting myself i had from from the end of august to first october to think about that and i said no i'm gonna make a commitment anyway i stayed with it and I, uh, I wound up killing six bucks and three does with it before the season was over with. So I, I said, well, I, I'm going to stick with this. And I said, I, I want to get the best recurve bow or traditional bow I can get. So I started researching it and looking at it, and I'd made up my mind I was going to get a black widow. I thought it was the best and, until I had something changed my mind. I went to a little local 3D shoot by the house, and they had a guy that had – uh, Tim Mullins has started making these Acadian Wood bows recently. And, and they had three guys there, and each one of them had one of those brand-new Acadian Wood bows. And I shot one, and I fell in love with it. So I called Tim, and uh, I put an order in for one, and he made me one. So I started the 94 season, uh, yeah, the 94 season with an Acadian Wood bow, and I just loved it. And I kind of I kind of run my mouth a little bit. I, I don't usually overload myself, but uh, when – Tim had that bow ready for me. He called me and he says, uh, he said, I got your bow about ready. He said, I want you to drive over and we'll shape the handle so it fits you like you want it to. And we live about, I don't know, 130 miles apart, you know, hour and 45 minute ride or something though. And I said, I said, Tim, I said, I don't care about that. So I said, just, just do like you always do. And he, and this kind of guy, he said, no, he said, this is a handcrafted, custom-made bow and he said i want it to be custom to your grip and he said it ain't gonna hurt you to ride over here and we'll shape it to your hand i didn't really know him he didn't know me and i said all right so i drove over there and he had his shape down a little bit and he worked on a little bit and he said i tried and he said try this and i said man I'd take a little off here and anyway he worked on it for a while and he got it down where it felt good and i said that's it i said don't fool with it and he said you want to string it up and shoot it well it, it wasn't finished you know it, it'd still been been sanding on it and whittling on it and all that. And I said, can I? And he said, yeah, it won't hurt to shoot a few times. So we we uh, we went outside, and he gave me some airs and everything and, and uh, shoot with it. And uh, 
got a target and I shot about five arrows with it and boy I liked it. It just really felt good and shooting good and everything. I, I kinda kinda overloaded myself and I looked over at him, I said, Tim and he didn't know me, he didn't know my background or anything at the time. And I said, You see this bow you made, Tim? And he said, Yeah and I said, You'll m- never make another one that's gonna kill as many deer as this one's gonna kill. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me like I was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, you think so? And I said, yeah, mark it on the wall. And I, I said, okay. So <laughs> anyway, it, it turned out good. Everything worked out good. And I love that bow. He did a great job with it and still flinging arrows right now. So uh, Cadian Wood is my, my favorite all-time bow. That's awesome. That's, that's a long actually... answer for a short question. <laughs> no, <laughs> no that, that was the right answer for sure. I, I actually cut my teeth when I got into archery. I cut my teeth with a with a Fred bear takedown. There you go. Um, I caught and, and made my way to compound and then, you know, kind of bounced back and forth. Uh, since then, I, I really want to get back to, to traditional archery, but I just don't have the, I, <laughs> I don't have the willpower. <laughs> it's, 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 it's difficult hunting here in Florida. And I feel like, um, I like hunting more than I do limiting myself at this point, but I, I admire you guys who get it done because it's it's a whole different task. It's a whole different uh, set of game. It's it's a whole different game, honestly. Yeah, I tell you what. Uh, it, once you do make that commitment and you stay with it and you switch and you kill a few deer, you you won't you won't uh, you appreciate your kills a whole lot more with that trad bow than you will with a wheel bow. I mean, I mean, I've been there and done it, you know, and I think everybody else has done it will agree with me. It's just so three, you can see the air so good when it's when you shoot it. It's not like it's going 300 feet per second or something like that. It's doing about <laughs> 170 feet per second, and you're shooting close. You know, all you're shooting is inside 20 yards basically, and uh, it's just like you you point your hand at that deer where you want to do like you're aiming a flashlight or something other and draw back when you touch anchor. You, I let her rip, you know, and just watch that air just go right exactly where you was looking. It's very self gratifying. I'm gonna tell you what it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll start on uh, maybe I'll start on some hogs, and uh, maybe the bug will bite me, and I'll, I'll be able to carry that momentum into the fall as well. I've got a I've got a recurve, and I've got uh, arrows uh, made. I just need to. I guess I just need to bite the bullet and. It's a commitment. And, you just got to make that commitment. Stay with it. It'll work out for you. <laughs> what is uh what what arrow setup are you shooting? I'm curious out of that. You know, I, I'm probably the most least technical guy you'll ever talk to who shoots a bow in there. I, I, I got some uh, uh, 500 uh, carbons, and I got a bunch of looms. I shoot whatever flies good. You know, I might have three different kind of airs in my quiver. I might have a couple of aluminums and a, and a carbon or whatever, but they all shoot smooth and, and good, and they shoot where I look pretty much, and uh, I don't really care how much they weigh or what they look like and anything like that as long as they go from point a to point b and get the job done that's all i'm worried about but uh I, I, tim made me another bow about i guess i've had it for two two years maybe three years now and uh, he made a one of them cadillac bows one real pretty beautiful one piece recurves and it's exactly 10 pounds lighter than my long time bow the one i had since 94 and uh, I'm hunting with it this year. I, I really like it. It shoots so good and so smooth and easy to shoot. It's it's a I, I call it my old man bow. <laughs> that's awesome. I, that's 
I, I really I really appreciate how how simple recurve archery can be or traditional archery can be compared to I think a lot of the technical I mean I guess you could make it more more specific but most of the killers that I know that have a recurve uh or a, you know a, a longbow or something like that they they when I ask them that question they kind of say about the same thing you know whatever whichever one of my arrows flies where it where I want it to be and 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 they're worried about a well-placed shot more so than anything else and it's kind of it's kind of relaxing to not worry about the specs quite so much. Yeah, well, our shots are so close. You know, you talk about 12 to 15, 16 yards, something like that. And uh, it's just, it's just, you know, I, I, people ask me all that tuning stuff and all that. I said, I can't shoot good enough to tell the difference. My, you know, I'm not as consistent enough shoot, shooter as, as I can say, oh, man, I'm shooting a half inch to the right or something like that. You know, I'm trying to shoot in a pie plate, you know, and I, I I just can't tell the difference on all that stuff. And I think a lot of people just remember their good shots. They forget about all their bad shots they make, too. So, <laughs> you know, I think that is a little overrated, all that technical stuff. I, I tell you how technical I was. Even when I shot a compound bow, uh, the couple of the bows I had, they, they don't come with a rest on them. You had to fix a rest. And on one of them, I used a, a sweatband. I, I worked construction, and we had these sweatbands, you know, for your hard hat and everything, I put a sweatband, glued it on there, and that was my rest for one of my bows. And the other bow, I had a toothbrush head. I took a toothbrush and cut the bristle end of it <laughs> off and cut the handle off of it, I should say. And I got some dikes and, and clipped those, uh, those that brush and kind of shaped it a little bit and got some glue and glued it on that shelf, and that's what I shot off of. Plus, I, the first compound I had, I was used shooting a recurve, and I I couldn't stand that big let off I had. It had like a forty percent let off when they first come out, and I found out I could reverse the wheels on it. They had like four wheels on it, and I reversed the wheels on it and got it down to where it had like a twenty percent let off. Boy, and I was I was in high cotton then. Didn't have to fool with that let off. <laughs> <laughs> so, you you talk about getting them close. Let's kind of talk about your strategies to do so to get because to get to a, a, a to get a, a deer within you know sub 25 yards is quite a feat and you're talking about a, a great deal closer to that what do you how do you uh how would you tell people that you go about getting deer as close as you do well you know to me bow hunting is all about putting deer under you it's not about shooting them 35 40 45 yards it's shooting them inside 12 uh, inside 20 you know anywhere from I've shot them as close as three yards, just like straight down plumb bob shots, you know. And I've my, the longest one I killed was 45 yards with my recurve, and I was on the ground scouting for a feed tree to, when I did that. And it was he was chasing a doe, and he just run by and stopped, and it was just a a natural reflex, just swing up and and just quick snap shot, and it just wound up being a perfect shot at 45 yards, but. You got to put them in close and, and hunting destinations instead of travel areas to do do that to you. Get a place they're going to to feed and everything like oak trees or or primary feed trees and everything. That's going to put them in close where you want them. Creek crossings where you can set up close. It's all about putting them under. You know whatever it takes, whatever you're hunting, just try to zone in and tune in and get you a, a good close shot. Absolutely, I. I... One of the things I've heard you speak about is feed trees, and I I had an experience 
about, well, it's been about a month ago, and, and I want to run it by you because I, I've never heard someone speak as fondly of feed trees, and Chase and I have talked openly on the podcast about what I experienced and what of it was was, was um, <laughs> maybe luck and, and what of it was, was just what you've observed yourself having done so, but I traveled to southeast Georgia and hunted the coastal plain over there this year for the first time in maybe close to five or six years, and we did a lot of scouting, a lot. I mean, I just I just kept huffing it, and I'd go from oak tree to oak tree. Knew they were dropping live oak, water oak, didn't really matter. And I was just trying to find the hot one. I was just I knew there was so much food on the ground that I needed to find the one that they were really tearing up. And <clears throat> at the end of the trip, I ended up noticing. Actually, on day one, I found a water oak, and it looked like turkeys had just scratched all the dirt, uh, all the the leaf matter and everything away and I and I told my buddy who was there I said oh well that's just turkey scratching don't worry about it well come to find out I come back by after you know a couple days and there's deer tracks everywhere and in fact I busted a group of hogs that were underneath uh, that feed tree and I spent two two hunts underneath that feed tree and I had hogs that while I was climbing the tree in the in the the you know the early morning hours they would repeatedly come to the base of that tree and they would bust off because they'd see somebody, you know, a little hobbit climbing up the tree with a green light and <laughs> they would bust off, stand there, just should have been downwind, maybe maybe it was doing something funny, but they just kept coming back to that tree over and over and over again and and I ended up having a deer walk on a line about 200 yards to get to the base of the tree that I was in is when you find that hot tree in the past, have you found that the animals kind of act a little um, maybe desperate or, or they, they lose a little bit of them, themselves trying to get there? Well, when you find a primary feed tree, you know, every deer you see just about is going to be coming straight to it like it's a string tied to them, pulling them in. They just, it's, it's just the best tree in the whole general area, and, and at the time they've designated it as a primary feed tree, and they're not worried about any secondary trees at the time. These you know, these deer, they're picky about what they eat, and, and uh, I've said this before, and I, I, it's the best way to explain it. You know, when we're raising tomatoes and everything, when they first come in and the tomatoes just starting to ripen a little bit, we'll, we'll eat any tomato we can get. We're not worried about it. We just want to eat a tomato. But after all your tomatoes come in, you're going to have some that's not ripe and some that's overripe. And then they're going to have some that's perfect. Well, that's the ones we're going to eat that's perfect. Well, it's the same way with the acorns and the deer. They're picky eaters when they got a lot of food, so they want to eat the very best. And they're going to find that best acorn at its time. Now, how long is it best until another tree roots it out and becomes better? But uh, they want those good acres. And, 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 and a primary tree screams at you. I mean, you're going to look at hundreds of trees if you're looking for one that's the primary one. You got you got to cover a lot of ground, and it takes a lot of ground to do this. You can't do this on small place. You got to have big places, because sometimes you have to walk two to four hours just to find what you're looking for. But you'll recognize it. It's going to be a tree that takes your breath away from you. You can look inside that drip line of the crown. On the inside of that drip line, it's going to be a lot of what I call ground disturbance. The leaves are going to be churned up, chopped up. It's, it's, it's like you had a tiller in there or something, and you look outside that drip line, it's totally untouched. It's just like every leaf is in perfect place. 
and nothing. You're going to hear acorns falling. You're going to have a real active tree. You're going to have squirrels and, and coons and blue jays. and uh, It's just a real active tree that's going to be active all the time. When you walk up one of those things, it's so hot, and you've got deer droppings all around that tree. You might have a rub or two around it and maybe a scrape off at the side. It takes your breath away. It's exciting. And, and when you find that, you're ready to climb right now. You want, you don't want to have to go back and get your stand. And, uh, you're ready to hunt it right then. And these deer, they've been used to coming into it for however many days it's been the primary tree. And that they come like maybe two or three days have been coming into it and nothing's been happening. Well, they're going to walk in there just like they always have, but you're going to be there waiting for them this time. That's right. How many of those trees, I mean, I know this is difficult to say, I, there's probably no easy answer to this, but how many of those trees do you think you can, or, or maybe in your experience, have you found in a season? Is it normally, you know, maybe one or two trees that you find, or do you find that their preference can can shift uh, even as, as, you know, to use your analogy, as the tomatoes become more scarce, do they do the, those feed trees start to shift as well? You know, they're not, each tree isn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a primary tree every season. It's different. But just, I remember one season, I think it was, I had to go back and look and see what season it was. But they didn't have, the only acorns they had were, were cow oak or swamp chestnut. I call them cow oak. So acorns are swamp chestnut or cow oak. You call them either way. But it's the only acorn they had. They didn't have any, any varieties of red oak. They didn't have any varieties of white oak except for the swamp chestnut. And the squirrels started hitting them in, in the end of September. And the deer were coming in for droppings. Well, I hunted 15 days that October. And I never hunted deer I didn't have inside 10 yards that whole that whole October. And that was just because the only game, I was just looking for, I didn't convince myself there wasn't any other acres with cows. And I was running and gunning looking for cow acres. And you can spot a cow acre from a long ways off. Plus, when they start dropping good, you can hear them dropping them big acorns from 100 yards away. You can hear them hitting them limbs and falling and popping and everything. But uh, 15 days I hunted in October, and I never hunted a day I didn't have deer inside 10 yards. It was just uh-huh. it was exceptional. But, you know, every year is different. You know, I've had years where you couldn't hardly find a hot tree, you know, but I had somewhere I could find a, a different one every day. But I never kept, quit looking for them. It was I, I de- designated two to four hours every day I was in the woods searching for primary feed trees. And uh, these feed trees can last, uh, you know, you can find one every month of the season, depending on what kind of oak tree it is or what area you're hunting. Uh, you know, I hunted nut alls in the last day in January and seen trees where you, all the leaves were off and it was just, just a mass of acorns up in that tree hadn't even started falling yet. And it was the last last day in January, the season last day of the season. So, and then they're a little hard to find in October, the first week or so in October. But by the by the third week of October, you know, you're gonna you're gonna find oak trees somewhere. And water oaks have been the best for me, most productive for me. And I think it's because there's so many more water oaks than there are any other acorns, uh, oak trees in in the areas that I hunt. You know, they they put an oak tree. And you hear a lot of people talking about the white oaks, how they really like the white oaks so much better than the red oak family acorns. And that might be so, but the white oaks drop out real quick, and they pick them up quick. You'll have a water oak. It might be dropping. One might be dropping in October, one in November, another one in December, you know. And it's it's just a, they're available a lot longer through the season than white oaks are. 
that's just some of the things I picked up on through the years. You know, I, I I've been told something similar. Um, I, I think it's funny. You, 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 most people have this influence where, you know, there's someone in your life telling you, guiding you, passing on whatever, whatever theories or whatever knowledge they they've acquired. And I was told my entire life to ignore water oaks. And so, you know, I, I'm not going to argue with dad and dad said, don't worry about water oaks, find the live oaks that were dropping. And, and I think that was one of the reasons why I was so quick to dismiss the water oaks when I first found them day one. Right. And I found a, a, this huge, beautiful grove of of live oaks, and it was just raining. And in fact, in, in one of the videos that I shot, you can it just literally sounds like pitter patter in the background, as if you know it just got done raining. Right. And it's and 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 it's live oaks everywhere, but there there were so many left on the ground. And there was so little sign there that by day two, maybe three, I started kind of putting, the, you know, I felt kind of the pieces come together in my head. I'm like, okay, if these were the preferred thing, if, if what he said was true, I should see more sign here. And that's when I went back to that other water oak and I started seeing the acorns fall and then there wasn't anything left. You know, there, there was, there was, it seemed like they were eating husk and everything or a cap and everything. And that's when I started kind of having that aha moment that you know i had maybe been a little too partial to the common knowledge and not listening to what uh the woods themselves have been telling me about feed right. trees yes it's all about the sign you know you gotta you gotta see sign with open mind and and uh and take advantage of the opportunity that it provides but uh yeah it's all about the sign i mean uh i mean if you got acorns falling and and there's no sign under the tree where deer or 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 uh Tracking it up and, and leaving droppings and split acorns and hulls, just sign, you know. Well, I don't care how many acorns are on the ground. If they're not picking them up, that's not what they want. They want something else. <laughs> yeah. It, it's sure. a lot of so common a... sense in this stuff. You, you can't overthink it, you know what I mean? you got to just go sure. by what you actually see. It sounds like you, you've, you over the years, have have learned that the woodsmanship of knowing when what is dropping kind of helps you isolate and locate which trees you're going to go and check in the season. Um, obviously having that, that, that journal help, helps you kind of go back and, and maybe make some predictions as to which ones might be dropping. But it, it sounds like uh, my theory, you know, one of the things I've been doing this year more than others is dedicating an entire day to hunting and the middle portion of the day to scouting, even if, you know, you feel like you're dropping maybe a little bit too much sign in the area. You, you're at least gaining, you know, firsthand knowledge for the next time you come back in there. Absolutely. And you know, that, people want to know my secret a lot of times. And they'll think, well, I don't have any secrets. But what I attribute to a lot of my success is is uh, daily in-season scouting. I mean, the deer change their pattern constantly. They, they go from one thing to another. And if you just get set up on the first thing you find them doing and keep trying to hunt that, I mean, you're going to miss the boat uh, because that boat is moving from one place to another, feeding and stuff. It, it's, it's steady changing. The only way you can keep up with it was putting your time in the woods, walking and looking and observing stuff and looking for for the most sign available at the time. And that's what you want to hunt. It's, it's not always easy. You don't always find what you want, but... Uh, you know, you got you got to keep trying. It's it's the hunting season is not a sprint; it's a marathon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I said, are there any times where you ever shift off of feed trees and look for different sign? 
see what I'm I'm looking for feed trays all the time, but if I find a creek crossing that's that's uh, really hot or good, I'm gonna hunt that. If I find a, a like a line of or, or rubs or something up through a thicket, like a little funnel area, I'm gonna hunt. I'm gonna hunt the most sign available at the time, no matter what it is or what the setup is. I I, I scout with an open mind and take advantage of uh, the best stuff that I can find that I think will be produce a, uh, a close shot. Um, do you have in your journals or your logs or anything like of like? I'm sure you had like what you killed the deer on, like hot feed tree, scrapes, maybe rub line, any of that. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. Every, every kill I've made, I've got what I what I killed it on, and and then sometimes it's it's like a combination of two or three things. You know, I might be on a creek crossing. It's got an oak tree right there in it, and it and it's uh, also a pinch point. Uh, it's it's a lot of different. I've, I I got. Let me see how many different things it is here. I got. I just thumbed through my little deal here. Yeah, I got. I got. Let's see. Gen, hunting a general area. That's kind of like an observation hunt. That's one method. Uh, water oaks. Let me put my glasses on. Just like water oaks, I've killed forty six with a bow and six with a gun. On uh on water oaks, and uh, no, I, I take it back. I've I've killed six with a gun and fifty three with a bow on water oaks. Red oaks I've killed seventeen with a bow. Cows I've killed thirteen with a bow, and one with a gun. Nut oaks I've killed twenty five with a bow and four with a gun. White oaks I've killed thirteen. Chumard oaks I've killed two. Cherry bark oaks, I killed five. Honey locust beans, I've killed seven. Uh, trails, hunting a trail, I killed 32 with a bow and one with a gun. Walking, I've killed eight with a bow and six with a gun. Persimmons, I killed six with a bow. Uh, hunting a, a wheat field, like the edges of it, trails coming into it, basically. Killed 14 with a bow. Food plots, I've killed, that's private land hunting i've killed 10 on food plots with a bow and three with a gun hunting cutovers clear cuts i've killed four with a bow and two with a gun creek crossings i've killed seven with a bow and seven with a gun uh and then dogs i've killed one with a bow and three with a gun that with dogs were running just that wasn't a dog hunt or nothing they just somebody's dog was running a deer in the woods i was hunting and then i've i've killed them calling I've killed them rattling, so that's basically how I've killed my deer. So there, there is no what I'm getting. There is no just one way does it all. Like you're, you're like you said, you're constantly adjusting, trying to figure out uh, where these, where the deer are, and uh, going in with an open mind and not letting anything kind of cloud your judgment. Take advantage of the most sign you find at the time. It's all about recent. And then I walk a lot of creeks, too. Some of the areas I hunted, they had these uh, big, sandy, bottom, dry drainage creeks. You know what I mean? They might have a little pothole of water here and there and yonder. And you get down there and in that creek, and you can walk and go around those little pots of water and that thing, and you find where the deer crossing real heavy, and the sign is short real good on that sand. It'll be all churned up and shot. And what you do, I, I climb up the bank, and I, I walk out there to wait the way they were coming through there, I take a compass bearing and go out take compass bearing, looking for 
if it's a bedding area, if it's a destination or whatever on that one side of the creek, if I don't find what I look for, I come back to the creek and I take the other side and walk the compass bearing that they were they were running on and go out in there. You know, I'm not walking the thing. I'm looking for 50, 60 yards on both sides of that line for trees. And a lot of times I found active feed trees that were primary like that, just find this crossing sign of the creek and backtrack on it or on both ways from the creek and, and find the destination they were going to and set up on the destination. Because you get, if you get on a destination from a creek crossing, you're going to have possibly probably deer coming from the creek across it coming to it, but you can also have other deer coming from the other directions possibly coming to that same tree that wouldn't necessarily be crossing the creek. Like, you just got to have an open mind to this stuff. It's just common sense, basically. Right. I love I love how practically you come about this. I think I am definitely guilty of overthinking it, like you said. I, 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 I find myself trying to be this super analytical dude that if I found a sign going in this direction, I'm trying to, you know, come up with some kind of pattern that's there. When sometimes it's just as simple as, as natural funnels, food sources, bedding areas, and putting yourself in, in, in it sounds like high high probability locations. Right. And the more times you hunt, the better opportunity you have to cash in on it too. I mean, you know, instead of making 10 hunts a year, you make 20 hunts, you know, it doubles your chances. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's definitely Chase. I think he hunts more than just about anybody I know. He, uh, (laughs) he's got the right schedule for it. (laughs) Well, I don't hunt as much as I used to. That's for sure. I've backed off a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, the more I find, the more I'm in the woods, the luckier I, I am, or the better hunter I am. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's always having opportunity. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So I, I'm curious, how did your perception of what you were going to shoot change with the times? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure when you were cutting your teeth, anything that was legal table fare was probably uh, running for its life, but. You know, you're you're looking at 300 plus kills. I'm just curious when you when you set out now, are, are do you have something in mind that you're that you're looking for, or are you still just going out there and and if it gets you excited, that that's what happens. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I used to not pass on deer. The the, uh, the laws were real limits were real liberal. You know, the time I was real active and, and doing good, it was one a day, no season limit in in hunting three states that I hunted annually and uh you know you didn't have any any restrictions on what you shot you shoot a buck or a doe you know and there were no antler restrictions and and I've lost a lot of targets since they started changing all that now and I lost a lot of number of opportunities but also lost a lot of desire to kill multiple deer like I used to uh nowadays you know I'm I'm, I'm 76 years old and uh, I, I, I've been there and done that, and I've slowed down a lot. And so I don't want to kill that many deer anymore. I, I'm just happy to, to be able to still hunt and, and climb and, and, see, and see deer and, and, and be totally independent from outside help, be able to do this solo without any help. And uh, I said when I get where I can't do that, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I've had enough. But I only shoot what I would call, a, I don't care about, with a bow I'll shoot a doe if I get a chance. But I, I never have shot many. I think I've killed maybe ten does with a firearm in, in, in my whole life. I have no desire to shoot a doe with a gun. But 
now my books I'm shooting now days since the last uh, I don't know ten years I guess if they don't have a, a decent little rack that, that that you know that makes it worthwhile to me I just soon watch him and just let him go and uh, uh, and that's just the way it is now he's gonna have to have a like a pretty nice little six point or eight point or better before I'm interested in shooting now I field quarter and pack all my deer out I don't I, I, I keep a camera with me and a video camera with me. And I, after I kill, I have I take my pictures and and have a little video show and tell. And then uh, I quarter him up, and put in a bag and pack him out. Well, uh, I used to quarter one up. I was timed one time, six minutes and twenty seconds. I had from the deer laying on the ground to all the meat was in the bag in six minutes and twenty seconds. <laughs> wow! And it was wasn't nothing to it now. But now my back hurts, my knees hurt. Uh, I don't have the stamina I used to. It takes me about 30 minutes to do one now, so uh, just being honest. So it, it's a, quite an effort for me. So the least I do, the better off I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I will I will go to the trouble for uh, an eight-point or something like that, you know. Sure, sure. You're not going to let a good deer walk. Just no, uh, I'm for... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take him out one piece at a time if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're still a deer hunter after all. Yeah, I'm still a deer hunter, yep. <laughs> That's awesome. I I love that. What's what's the deer hunting like in, in Louisiana now versus, you know, back then? Was, obviously, there's more deer, but has the the opportunity for, for decent rack bucks changed with time? or? You know, I, I don't think we have the deer that we used to have here. I really don't. In fact, the, the area... I live in and hunt in, they, they reduced limits about three years ago. They went from six deer a year to three deer a season. And uh, and I think that's because of the the habitat. They do so much clear-cutting around in here. The deer's losing a lot of habitat and, and population growth and selling land off and houses and places like that. It's just they're running out of habitat and and, uh, and, and overkill, too. So they, they cut the limits back. And uh, But... Uh, it's just it's just an area, it's, it's location, you know, just whatever location in, they're all different. And uh, the, the location, like one place I, I've been hunting for about seven years now, another thing, it was it was cut the last three years. They cut the, the pines the first year and the oaks the second year. And then the property around them, they cut the pines and the oaks. And uh, it just, and it's grown up through those three years. It's grown up, it's nothing but a, weed patch so basically all i've got to hunt there now is just the, the main road that runs through it that keeps bush hog and then a few little old lanes and stuff so it's not bow hunter friendly anymore you shoot a deer he's gonna run out in that stuff it take a bulldozer to get to him probably head high <laughs> weeds and briars and stuff so i, I kind of lost my my potential bow hunting there and then gun hunting i can still shoot them but i better drop them in the tracks when i do so it's everything's changing all the time. I always said if it's, things going to change, if everything's real good, really enjoy it because it's not going to stay the same. And if it's, things are bad, just hold on. They're going to change and maybe get better. But uh, it, we we still got deer, but the, for me, it's not as populated or the hunt's not as good as it has been before. Were you content hunting that area around Mississippi and Louisiana, or did you ever really – uh, find yourself, you know, drawn to the Midwest chasing bigger deer. Well, I've hunted in 13 different states, and uh, but the majority of my hunting has been in the 
in the deep south, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, Arkansas, and areas like that. That's where the majority has been. But I've, I've hunted some Midwest states too, but that was back years ago. One of one of our listeners asked when they found out that you were going to be on the show, he wanted to know, have you ever hunted the state of Florida before, and what were your thoughts were if you did? I have. I've hunted it. Uh, I've made two trips to Florida and killed uh, three deer, uh, two, uh, two with a gun and one with a bow. The first trip I killed one with a bow, and the second trip I killed two with a gun. But it was a, it was an Internet hunt. Uh, they had an out, uh, outdoorcore.com site. There was a bunch of like-minded hunters and hunt trad hunters mostly and everything and one of the members was a veterinarian in florida and, and he had a, a real nice lease and everything and he would invite traditional bow hunters to come over there and actually had a gun hunt or two also and i was invited on two of those hunts and i rode over and made a hunt with him and uh it was it was they had some thick stuff in there <laughs> they had one place it was he called it a a, a bay or something other and i was gonna uh I had aspirations looking at the map and everything. I was going to go out in that bay and find something thick set up in. Shoot, I couldn't I couldn't get two foot into that bay. It was so thick. <laughs> no way. In fact, I, I shot at one of the deer I killed there. I shot a little little spike. The deer real small. I shot a little spike, and I saw him going to run straight out in that stuff, that thick stuff, and just run as hard as he could. And he run out there. I don't know how far. I heard him going away, and then I heard him coming back. He runs straight back out of it. It was too thick for him. He <laughs> out of it. He fell dead like 10 feet from my tree. I said, man, I got lucky on that deal. He fell dead out at the end of where he turned around to come back. I'd have never got to him. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 a interesting place to hunt, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, I just saw that one part of it, no thing, but uh, he had, I forget how many acres he had, maybe 2,000 acres of I don't. I don't remember what it was. Had a nice camp house, and uh, it was a good time. Had a bunch of good guys from all over the country met up there. And we had a good time. What, what part of Florida was it? Oh, uh, it was kind of. It wasn't down the south part of where the Panhandle goes down. It was right in that crotch where where Florida runs east and west along the Gulf of Mexico, and it turns to go south. It was right up in that little armpit right there. I okay. the name. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's not that far from that's pretty much the dead center part between me and Chase. So yeah, I, I might can see I got it in my book. See if I can find it. The, the name of the club was Bear Bay. Bear Bay Hunting Club. Uh, I just got okay. Bear Bay, Florida on here. It's, I didn't yeah. put the town on there. I'd have to go look that's at cool. the story, and it take me a little while to find a story. Sure. Well, we're not going to ask you to do that right now, but. Oh, that's that's cool that you've hunted here. I, I, there's there's not a whole lot of diehard deer hunters that find their way to this state. <laughs> it's not exactly a destination. Yeah, but they got some good hunting there though. It's good hunting. Oh, yeah. I, I was going to tell you how many uh, what what's how many the states I hunted in. I got it right here if I can find it. Well, you would have liked Florida for a long time, Mister uh, Warren, because it was two deer a day every day of the season. Yeah, so. that's nice. That was my kind of <laughs> back in the old days. <laughs> uh, that's right. I, I was pretty bloodthirsty. I'm going to tell you. I ain't going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, these are states I've hunted. I hunted in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Illinois. 
Wow. That's awesome. And have you killed a deer in each of those as well? No, I wish I would have, but I haven't. Yeah. Gotcha. I made some no-kill no hunts. What's your What's your favorite state to hunt? Probably Mississippi. I'm most successful in Mississippi than any of them. And, uh, of course, I like hunting in my backyard. That's pretty convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> I got a stand-up right here. Uh, it's not a stand-up. I got a, a tree I climb. It's uh, probably 50 yards from where I'm sitting in this house right now. <laughs> nice. I'm <laughs> there, boy. <laughs> that's awesome talk to us about saddle hunting mr warren yeah how long have you been hunting out of a saddle this is my fourth season i started in the 2017 season i had i had tried a saddle back in 2005 it was called a tree suit and i was on tradgang.com and and people started pumping it up and talking about how great it was and all that and you know i had a pretty pretty mobile system already i had a, a dick idle lock on limit weighs six and a half pounds and i had my spurs or woodpecker drilling boats that i used to climb with and it, it is pretty portable and pretty light i used a i used a uh toward the latter part of the years i used it but since 2010 or 12 i started using a rock climbing harness for safety factor and uh i was real satisfied with it and everything and i listened to a podcast with john eberhardt and he's a good salesman, man. He talked good about the saddles and got me interested in it. And so I found saddlehunter.com on the Internet, and I started researching it and reading that stuff, and I got real interested in it. And the Kestrel had just come out as the first new modern-day saddle that come out, I guess, from Aerial Hunter. And they had a pre-sale. They just started a pre-sale on it, so I went ahead and ordered one. And it didn't come in until about November, I guess, mid-November before it came in. And I started hunting in it. But while I was waiting for it to come in, I was steady on that website, saddlehunter.com, and I educated myself. And, uh, you know, they, they got a lot of guys on there that know what they're talking about and a lot of experience, and they share those that knowledge and experience on there. And I, I learned as much as I could, And but when my saddle did come in, I pretty much hit the ground running. I, I knew what to, to expect, and I figured it out real quick, and, and I started hunting with it immediately. And But my main reason wasn't for mobile. It was for safety. You know, the age I'm getting to, uh, I do a lot of solo hunting and everything. I just can't afford to fall, and I I don't think I would hit the ground with that rock climbing harness, but, and I'd learned how to self-rescue with it, but I just didn't want to take a chance. And it's... Used correctly, it's just impossible to fall with that saddle. I mean, you, you, you're hanging in it. There's no 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 possibility for error that I can see. And uh, so that's why I mainly went to it. But after I got it, I, I got it tuned in and got in saddle shape and everything. I really appreciate it for the comfort and everything. But this, I would not, probably I would not say this, but I'm trying to be truthful and everything. Through the years, <laughs> I've, I've, actually rotated back to my old way for bow hunting i never was comfortable with the bridge being in the way and i don't shoot as good out of the saddle with a platform or a ring of steps as i do off of off of a lock on stand it's just something about it I, you know and i want to be able to shoot my best when i'm bow hunting for a deer or something like that i don't want to take second fiddle so this year i went back to bow hunting out of my my lock-on limit and and with my rock climbing harness. But when I gun hunt, 
which I've got to gun hunt as much or more than a bow hunt. I used to be all bow hunt. Now I'm kind of went back into the gun hunting a lot. And now when I gun hunt, I, I love that saddle. It's it's just absolutely perfect for gun hunting. And uh, I use it a lot, but I did revert back to my my old way of doing it for bow hunting. Now, now this is what a trad bow, my bow is 62 inches long. And it's not like a little compact compound bow, which would probably be a whole lot better and it wouldn't wouldn't make any difference using one of those. But personally for me, I just shoot better off a lock-on stand than I do this out of the saddle with my recurve bow. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's I, that's really what I think it matters most. It doesn't really matter what you're using as long as you're confident with it. I mean, if you wanted to use a a cheap, heavy uh, climber, and that's what you felt good from, and you shot good from, and you're willing to use it. I, I think that's that's what people should use. I I think we can we be in the community. We can be a little like all or nothing on things. But it sounds like you've got a you figured out systems over the years that work for you. But how'd you how'd you come about using the the climbing spurs? Did were you an arborist uh, prior? Or did you have any 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 experience with that? No, I have any at all. It was just a feeling the need i needed a way to get up in a tree and uh and that that the spurs were just uh, the fastest most portable and uh and he'd climb any tree go around limbs whatever and i just strapped them on and started climbing and the, you know they're not for everybody uh I, I was i got real comfortable with them pretty quick you, you start off you, you just take short steps and your feet are about uh shoulder wide you know and apart on a tree and you just take short steps and go up a little bit and come down and get used to going up and down and gradually work your way up to hunting height and other thing but uh i started with those and i think 72 i started climbing with spurs and hanging a and we made our our lock on stands they didn't they didn't offer them back then i had a a pipe fitter welder friend of mine that way yeah i guess you'd call him a friend acquaintance and uh he probably made the the first one he's ever made around here for sure, and uh, he I kind of saw one of his stands, one he made, and I I was an electrician and being EMT and pipe and stuff like that, and I designed my own little design, which is a little different than his, but basically the same thing, and made a s- solid model, and then like I had a hunting friend, and he was, he's a pretty good welder, and he welded it all up and everything, and then we figured a way to make it fold, and then it was still bulky and everything, and and uh, and so then we had the, the third uh, modification on it. it was was the last one. Although we got, we got it down, to, it was an awesome stand. The seat didn't fold; it was a solid pl- in place seat. But that thing was just it it was just perfect. I mean, it was solid, most solid lock on stand I ever hunted out of. And it, it was only th- problem was. We couldn't get it under 10 pounds. And that, about that time, Dick Idle come out with the lock-on limit and lock-on, uh, uh, oh, hey, what is it? The lock-on limit and the lock-on, uh, I went blank. Anyway, one of them weighed five and three-quarter three, three, three pounds and the other weighed six and a half. Well, I bought the one that's five and three-quarter pounds, and, uh, and my hunting partner, he bought the one that was six and a half. And the five and three quarter pound was just a little bit too small for me. I was taller than my hunting buddy and everything, so we we traded. So he wound up with my my uh, 
I'm trying, trying, I can't be, I can't recall the name of that thing. It's a dick out of limit. Uh, I can't, I can't, can't bring it up. But anyway, we swapped, <laughs> and I wound up with the limit, and he wound up with the other one, and and uh, we're both happy with it. <laughs> but it was, it was so light and portable, and we was packing deer a long ways out. We was hunting long distance from the vehicle, and just. Every little old pound counted, and every ounce counted, and so it it helps us out a lot. I'm I'm, I'm envious. I I have I've been given enough differing answers. I've had some wardens tell me they're legal here in Florida on public land, and I've had other people tell me that technically they're they're not. And every time I see a a picture or of you or someone else with those climbing spurs, and I look at my set of stick climbing sticks. I'm like, gosh, it'd be great to get rid of them things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, you know, they, they really, they, they pretty good. You just walk up there, you got four straps, and you step in them and buckle them four straps, and and uh, just take a step, and just like walking up a ladder, you know, it's pretty smooth. I got some That's videos awesome. of my hunting partner, Lloyd, climbing. Man, he just makes it look so easy and smooth. He climbs a lot smoother than I do. Just it makes it look effortless. So I'm, I'm curious. I've got one more uh, listener question for you if you have time. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Man, I, I think I told you I was retired. <laughs> 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 okay, fair enough, fair enough. One of our, our listeners uh, asked, and I think this is an interesting question. I, I, I didn't, I, I probably wouldn't have thought to ask this myself. When you grew up, there wasn't a whole lot of information uh, as readily available as it is for someone now who can YouTube and maybe get too much information. His question for you is: If you if you were growing up today, if you were cutting starting over today. Would you have done anything differently? Do you think that 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 technology would have shaped how how you uh, hunted as a deer hunter? Do you think it would have uh, an in, uh, a good effect or a bad effect on you? He's just kind of curious. You know, that's a, that's a good question. I never thought about that. But you know, information is great. You don't have to you don't have to just live by everything you hear. But you you take what you hear that works for you and you make it and and you use it. But uh, I don't think you could get too much information. You just what you accept and use is what you got to got to you know figure out for yourself. But uh, yeah, I think it it would have helped me a lot. I read everything I get my hands on. They just didn't have much out there. You know, they they just it's just flooded with stuff now with with Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and and uh, th- these different websites that, that used to be real popular before Facebook and Instagram come along. You know, it was just a wealth of knowledge and people's experiences and. What works for one person wouldn't necessarily work for for me, uh, but uh, it's something to think about and consider anyway. Yeah, I, I, I I've been open to any help I could get. That's for sure. D- did you ever utilize trail cameras or anything like that in your hunting? You know, I, the most I've had at one time was two, and that was re- last year. And one of them quit working, and and uh, it was a little cheap one. And uh, I got an Exodus. Is that what it is? An Exodus, I think. Yep. Yes, yeah, sir. I got one of those Check. three years ago. And and uh, uh, what I do, I I, I got a, a gravity feed station with corn in, in one area. I got a hunt, and I got a little spin feeder in the other one. And uh, I set my cameras up on them. I rarely hunt them. It's just more or less to kind of get an inventory of what's in the area. 
but I've never really based any of my hunts on trail camera information at all. It's just just to just to see. Oh yeah, that's a nice book. I know he's around here, basically. But uh, you can't get too much information. You know, I can see where these guys have a, a like a trap line with traps. They got a camera line, a cameras out all over the place. You know, the more information you can gather, the better off you are. And you pick and choose from that. Yeah. I just don't want to spend all that money on cameras and batteries and stations <laughs> and going back and forth and check them and all that. I just, I, I, that's not what I'm interested in doing. Don't make me right or wrong. You know, it's just, sure. it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just going to ask him, did, did you ever have any of like target bucks or any bucks that you kind of chased for a few years or anything like that? Or were you just simply, I'm setting up in the freshest sign and then whatever comes in, that's what I'm going to shoot. I never hunted for a target buck. I had, I had pictures of some that uh, that I would really love to kill and everything, but getting a picture of one at night is a lot different from getting a shot at one in the daytime. <laughs> right. And uh, so, you know, yeah, I, last year we had some really good bucks around my house. And, uh, I mean, I had I had five bucks uh, on, on our little place right here coming and going, you know. I had pictures of, and I'd have been just thrilled to death to shoot any of them, but I never saw them under hunting conditions at all. It was just, they were like ghosts, except at nighttime coming to the feed station where I had a camera set up. Just because you get pictures of them don't mean you're going to see them in shooting time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. You know, it's it's funny. I've, I've kind of taken a different I used to be very much like you when it came to trail cameras. I didn't want to fool with them. I didn't want to waste my time. Uh, but I, I came to grips with the fact that I'm not a very good woodsman. And so <laughs> I needed to, you know, have some kind of visual affirmation that in these areas I was going, because I, I, I sort of hunt in an area that's low deer density, relatively speaking. It's it's, it's real narrow pockets of deer, uh, more so than other places that I've hunted. And I I, I bought a you know, a good little fleet of, of cheap trail cameras. And it, you know, after about a year and a half worth of using them, it, it has made me a better deer hunter. But I think there are plenty of people out there who don't use trail cameras and they're way better deer hunters than I am. I think that kind of speaks to, there, there's more than one way to skin a cat in the deer woods. Yeah. Well, you know, I always had a motto when I started. Uh, I was hunting with some really good guys and everything. And they would say, well, what you going to do today or tomorrow or whatever and i'd say well i don't know just whatever it takes so it got to be a i was kind of like a whatever it takes guy and then as i got older it was like i don't have it takes all i got i went from whatever it takes <laughs> it takes all i got and then a few years later it got i don't have what it takes so, <laughs> so but yeah it's, it's, it's whatever it takes you know you take advantage of everything you can find and, and see and and do to to put a deer under you or in shooting range and it's just whatever it takes if trail cameras does it for you that's great if getting out there walking and scouting for two to four hours a day if that helps that's great too it's just everybody's individual and it's good to know what other people do and you can pick and choose from that to, to maybe uh, help you yourself too i'm i'm curious do you ever see any trends in the hunting community that kind of concern you about uh, maybe the direction that it's heading, maybe changes in, in, in emphasis in the hunt. Do you think that, you know, 
as a community we've grown in in a in a positive direction overall oh definitely yeah yeah i think hunting nowadays is a lot better than they were back in the old days i mean uh the major the bigger you got a bigger percentage of really good hunters nowadays than you had back then i mean it's just it's so much knowledge out there and education and information you know and a person that it's got interest. I mean, people used to not hunt long distance from the vehicles, you know. They used to hunt just all box stands all the time, you know, that, that stuff that could be improved on well, with the education and the knowledge that's available now. People are improving themselves. They're getting to be better hunters, and I, I, I really believe that. It's, it's, it's all plus, you know. Interesting. That's good. That's I, I kind of figured figured that's how you would how you would feel about it with the with the excess of information that that's out there. I think it it can lead to a, a community growing in a positive direction. More people feeling like they're in the game, which means more people are being invited. Which means there's more people participating and having fun. And it feels like it feels like in my time, I've seen more participation very quickly. Because I grew up with YouTube becoming something that, you know, you would you would search things and sometimes the answer wasn't there still, you know. Right. Whereas now <laughs> you sometimes have to sort through the videos to find the, the specific answer you're looking for. So I think I think a lot of people who are coming up now have a have a, a real rich ability to, to enjoy the outdoors quickly. Absolutely. You know. Social media, just everybody shares, you know, and, and it's a lot to be learned from this sharing. And you can only, you can really improve your odds if you, if you look at it at face value and, and then weed it through it and pick out what works for you. What works for somebody else might not work for you because of a different type of habitat, habitat or environment or something like that. But you can still find stuff that's similar to what you're doing that you can take advantage of. Absolutely. I'm curious who... You, 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 I know you said you you did a lot of reading. What what resources did you have back then? Was it Field and Stream style style magazines or? Yeah, it wasn't much. They had three outdoor magazine. They had uh, uh, Sports of Field, Field and Stream, and Outdoor Life, and they had maybe one or two uh, actual bow hunting uh, articles a year. And uh, of course, I, I subscribed to them and I read everything I could. I read cover to cover. I, I was a big reader. I, I get my hands on. I was subscribing to Bowhunter magazine when it first came out. I got a huge collection of that. I got a huge collection of North American whitetails. But when I got a computer in 2001, all my magazine and book reading it just it just bottomed out. I, I had so much on that internet that interested me, and it was such a good tool for learning and educating myself that I, I just quit doing the magazines altogether. You can find anything you want on that internet. And it, it it's, it's a lot of opportunity for people to better themselves just going to what they're, and I, you know, a lot of it won't apply to you personally, but you, you can always find stuff that'll help you. You can have any question you got just about answers one way or the other through, through social media now. Well, Chase, I've got one lingering question, but it tends to be the question that I, I close things out with. So, do do you have any any areas you wanted to hit before uh, I ask that question, Mr. Womack? A lot of our listeners are uh, new to hunting, maybe been in it for a couple of years, and they're hunting public land, and some of them are struggling. What type of advice would you give to a new hunter who might be struggling 
on uh, public land? Try harder. (laughs) 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 uh, I I always felt like I tried harder than anybody else. I might not have, but I convinced myself that I did. And you just got to keep trying. You're going to have a lot of disappointment, and uh, you're going to have a few rewards, and and a lot of those rewards are going to outweigh those disappointments so much you're going to forget about them. But you just got to keep at it. And try hard. I mean, if you think you're going hard and doing everything you can to to provide a good hunt for yourself, just do a little bit more, and it's all going to pay off. Hard work pays off. That's for sure. How many years? How many years did it take you in your in your pursuit of whitetails before? I'm I'm sure no one honestly says I, I wake up every day thinking I'm going to kill something, and they do. But how how long before? you started really feeling strong in yourself as a deer hunter. I'm just curious. Four, four years. It was like an apprenticeship program. And uh, after four years, I started, my success really started taking off. <laughs> it was a four-year deal for me, but I, I worked at it real hard, put a lot of time and effort into it. And and, uh, and after four, my fourth season, I, I was ready. I, I, of course, I'm not saying I hadn't improved a little bit, after that but a lot of things that helped me improve was was equipment and uh hunting tools and stuff like that you know but uh four years that's it now i've, I've hunted with some guys that, that i i've shared stuff with and and they i feel like they learned from me and and they learned in one season or half a season what it took me those four years to learn mm. so it just it takes what it takes yeah, and everybody's different, you know. Sure. So, just people just don't have it's 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 not a, a a straight line where everybody's on the same line. You got some people just it's just like football players or baseball players. You got some that's really good and some that's not very good. They all like to play football, but they have different levels. And your hunters the same way, you know. They had a sure. guy, he he hunted the same place I did. He hunted as hard as he thought he could. And he, he didn't kill nothing, and we was having a lot of success, me and a couple other guys, and he was doing everything he could. He just he just wasn't a good hunter. <laughs> you know? and, and that's just the way everybody is with everything, you know. Some yeah. people are real good at stuff they like to do, and some people aren't very good at it. It's a right. it's hard, simple fact. It's true. Yeah. I'm the water boy in the sports when it comes to deer hunting. I'm not very good. All right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't judge yourself too hard now. Yeah. <laughs> and some people are just lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah, you got a point there. It ain't kind of covered sometimes. All right. <laughs> yep. You always have the guy that they say is like, yeah, he can kill a deer in the Walmart parking lot type deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so. And I'm probably one of those guys, but <laughs> I think Just, so. There's I think a lot so. of I think there's a lot of luck involved, but also put a lot of time and effort into it as well. And you're talking about four years for you, Mr. Womack. Uh, how many days uh, a season were you hunting back then? Because four years for you might be ten years for somebody else with the amount of time they're actually getting out in the woods. Let me, let me look at the book. I, see, I didn't keep that detail of records of, at the, the first eight years. I didn't. I don't think I had that, but uh, let me see real quick. Yeah, see the days hunting. I didn't. I didn't have that information for the first eight years. But the ninth year, I hunted forty-six days. The tenth year, I hunted sixty-two days. Eleventh year, fifty-seven. Twelve, forty-nine. 
69, 61, 55, 47, 40, 66, 22, 59, you know, a lot of days. That's in, that's up to uh, 95, and then there's some, some days here. I hunted uh, 70 days in 2007, 2008 season, 60, 68 one season. That was the 2011-12 uh, season. But, uh, yeah, you just hunt as much as you can, basically, you know, or, or as you want to. Right. Yep. So 68 days, and if somebody's hunting weekends for yeah. the season, that's that probably turns out to be, what, 20 Two days? Almost. Yeah. Well, I had a real yeah. good friend of mine that I hunted with. He's my number one hunting buddy. And uh, I met him on a job and he was a real experienced hunter but he hadn't bow hunted much and, and uh he was just getting back started in it and everything and uh i met him and he got all outfitted he got him a compound bow and all that and uh, built him a stand and and got everything he needed boy and he was all excited about it. he's an awesome hunter probably the best hunter i ever hunted with at any time but any compared to anybody and uh he's all excited about it and he says uh he said, man, I'm ready to get him. He says, uh, how many deer do you think I'm going to kill this year and, with my bow? And I said, probably four. And he said, four? That ain't very many. <laughs> and he said, how many are you going to kill? And I said, well, I'm going to probably kill 12. And he said, wait a minute. He said, why are you going to kill 12, you think? And I don't think I'm going to kill but four. I said, well, I'm going to hunt a lot more than you. And, uh, because, you know, he was going to work, and I wasn't planning on working much. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, well, why do you think that? And I said, well, say you make, say you make 30 hunts. I said, that's a lot of hunts right there. Half of those hunts, you're not going to get a shot. So that puts you 15 hunts, you get a shot. And I said, out of those shots, you might hit, uh, out of 15 shots, you might hit eight of them, you know? And then out of those eight, you might not might find, but four of them, half of them. And uh, he said, oh, man, he said, well, what about you? And I said, well, I'm going to hunt a lot more than you, and I'm going to shoot a lot more, Derek. I had a lot better place to hunt than he did. And uh, so wind up when the season's over, he killed four deer. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he uh, got, you know, he was just getting his feet wet again in it, but he, he got where he was killing as much as I was and more most of the time. He really he really caught on quick and, and got with the program. But it, it just takes time, and it takes effort, and, you know, a lot of desire. Got to want it real bad. Do what it takes. Yeah, that's right. It just it takes what it takes. I, I think I heard. I don't know who said that one time, and it stuck with me because it's it's true. It everybody's hunting situation is different. The amount of time they get to spend in the woods, the the opportunities that they just have based on population density and everything else. It just you know what's it going to take? I mean, yeah, kill one and you'll know. I see it. You know, and stick with it until then. And then, you know, you're going to shoot deer, you're not going to find to. You know, that's, that's part of it. You just, you know, but just because you don't find it don't mean it, it, it uh, died, you know. It, it might, those that's right. Deer are tough. They can survive a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. Well, on, on that note, I actually shot a, shot a young buck uh, this year, uh, second weekend of the season. And, you know, took it to heart, you know, looked as hard as I could, called a dog, couldn't find it, and just kind of, kind of, you know, didn't let it define the season and, and pulled a trail camera in that area. And uh, two and a half weeks later, he's back on camera fighting with another buck. 
Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was quite interesting. I killed one time and cutting the back straps out. He had a broadhead in his spine. Really? Lodged in his spine. Yeah. 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 I've, <laughs> I've done that before too. It was, it was a rage broadhead stuck right in the back strap. <laughs> yeah, this was embedded in his spine. It, it didn't hit just right to paralyze him or nothing. And he, he was, he was going through life normally when I killed him. And I, it was, I was cutting, cutting that back strap out and my knife hit metal. I said, what the heck is that? You could hear that, <laughs> that scrape when that knife blade hit that metal broadhead. It was embedded in the spine. They tough, man. They could take a licking and keep on kicking. All right. Well, Mr. Womack, I've got one final question for you this evening. And this is one that I tend to close out interviews with because everybody gives me, uh, uh, tends to give us different answers, but they all send, tend to have a certain vein to them. But I, I enjoy hearing everybody's perspective. Okay. And that is, today, if you could go back to the earliest version of yourself deer hunting and impart one single piece of advice that would change the way uh, that you hunted deer, change change who you were for the better, what single piece of advice would you go back and give your youngest self? Well, I think what helped me most is being independent from outside help to make a hunt, set up, do everything it takes, have everything I need, kill a deer and be able to get the deer and all my equipment back out totally without any outside help, all alone, being a complete solo hunter. I, I think that's something you need to strive for. I'm not saying you're going to be doing it all the time, but don't let not being able to be a solo hunter complete from finding everything and getting the deer out, don't let that keep you from hunting. Get where you can have confidence in yourself to know that you can do it, and you'll be good to go we've never had that answer i love it that's a great answer <laughs> mr womack i appreciate all of your time and and I, what i would love to do is uh if we could borrow you in the future I, i'd like to just swap some some hunting stories because you got a bunch of kills and i'm sure uh i'm sure there's some of those that stand out to you to this day that would would, would be entertaining and and maybe in the off season would be a a great way to to, to pass the the downtime between seasons I'm up for it anytime you want to. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. That's we appreciate fantastic. that. If you'll hang out in one second, I'm going to close this out, but we want to chat with you afterwards. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Y'all having me on here. I enjoy talking with both of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, we we are really thrilled because we were excited for this episode as well. We knew you were going to enjoy it. And if you did, do us a favor. Take somebody outside to enjoy the great outdoors, go for a hike, go hunting, go fishing. Whatever it is you have to do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.